When Jesus began his public ministry, he came preaching the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He came with a message to proclaim and an invitation to offer. He wanted people to acknowledge their sin and the need to come back into relationship with their Heavenly Father. Through his death on the cross, he would actually make it possible for sins to be forgiven and that relationship to be restored. But during the first few years, couple years of his ministry, he simply wanted people to understand the need for forgiveness and to begin looking to him to provide it. He sought to do that primarily through preaching and teaching and made that the focus of his ministry. But things got complicated when he started healing people. He cast an unclean spirit out of a man who interrupted his teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And he healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever and the whole city gathered at his door, bringing all who were ill and demon-possessed. After healing them, he slipped away for a time of prayer and refocusing, only to be hunted down and informed that everyone was looking for him. He had to leave town to be able to continue preaching. And then, after being moved with compassion and healing a leper who besought him on his knees, Jesus couldn't publicly enter a city without causing so much excitement that he couldn't teach because the leper told everyone about his healing and everyone who needed it wanted to be healed. Well, since healing created such a stir and created problems for Jesus in the context of teaching, why did he heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead other than the fact of his compassionate heart? Was it, was it so there would be no sickness, no sin, no death on earth? No, no. He did it so we would know that he is the one who can guarantee us a future, an eternal future, free of sickness and sin and death. That he has power over these things. His miracles, you see, demonstrated that he had the authority to say what he said. And since many of the things he said were very hard to believe, he confirmed them as only he could. And that is what we find him doing in our text for today. We're ready to begin the second chapter of Mark. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered there so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic 
was lying. Now, the way this is translated is a little confusing. You know, when we read, and when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, it sounds as if he had just been several days after the events of chapter 1 that Jesus returned to Capernaum, but there's no punctuation in the original text. And if you put a comma after Capernaum and remove the one that was placed afterwards, you have Mark saying that after an unspecified period of time, Jesus returned to Capernaum. And then, after several days there, word got out that he was at home. Now, that sounds, that, that sounds better. That seems to fit the picture better. Because Luke tells us that the Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from the surrounding villages and even from Jerusalem. And they were in the house that day listening to Jesus. And it was a full house. So full, in fact, that people were standing in the doorway and even out in the street trying to hear what Jesus was saying. And do notice, people had come to hear Jesus teach, not to be healed. He was speaking the word to them. Apparently, the healing frenzy that had led Jesus to leave had died down a bit, and he was now just teaching. But that in itself was quite a draw on at least two accounts. You know, the religious leaders had come to examine the orthodoxy of his teaching, and the people had simply come to learn. You know, when people heard Jesus, they heard things they'd never heard before. And when Jesus taught in the synagogue, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with authority, not like the scribes who merely quoted one another and hesitated to express their own conclusions. He was no doubt teaching with authority this day. He was doing what he'd come to do. But it was only a matter of time before someone would come or be brought for healing. And before long, a paralytic, a man who couldn't walk, was brought into the house. Now the place was packed. And they couldn't get near to Jesus. But they weren't about to give up. You know, who knows how far they had traveled? We don't know the relationship between these four men and the man on the pallet or stretcher. They may have been relatives or just good friends, but whatever the case, they really cared about him and weren't about to let a few obstacles get in their way. They had to get him to Jesus. And if they couldn't get to Jesus through the front door, they would find another way. Now, to understand what they did next, we need a quick lesson in first century architecture. Most Palestinian houses were very simple structures. They had flat roofs made by laying beams across the walls and placing tiles or sticks and brush across them. If sticks and brush were used, mud was then packed all over it, and a layer of sod was put on top. The roof would, in effect, become a lawn to use as we use a, a back backyard or, or a deck, and it could generally be reached by a stairway along an outside wall. Well, the men apparently decided going through the roof would be the best way to get to Jesus. So they hauled the man up the stairs 
and started digging. Now, we can only imagine what was going on in the house while they were digging. Talk about a distraction. You know, Jesus is teaching, and people are listening when they hear someone on the roof. And that's not unusual. But then it becomes obvious that they're making a hole in the roof. Dirt and sticks are falling everywhere. And they're all trying to look up, see what's going on when a stretcher starts coming down. Luke says it was lowered right in the center of the room in front of Jesus. Class is over, or so it would seem. But Jesus was the master teacher. And this was a very teachable moment. So he took the opportunity and said something that was almost impossible to believe. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise and take up your pallet and walk? Rather than see the mess and the intrusion that it was, Jesus saw their faith. The faith of the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus and the faith of the man who allowed himself to be lowered into his presence. Jesus responded to their faith by saying, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now why? Did he say that? Was the man a paralytic because of his sins? Was he being punished by God? It's possible. You know, God had punished individuals because of their sins before. We even find him striking some with leprosy in the Old Testament. But there's no indication that's the case here. So was it the consequence of some sinful or foolish behavior had he been uh, drinking while driving his donkey and fallen off. (laughs) Perhaps, but probably not. So what's the connection? Well, it was commonly held that all sickness was the result of sin. When Jesus saw a man blind from birth, his disciples wanted to know who sinned, the man or his parents. Jesus said, neither. Now, sickness is the result of sin, in that there would be no sickness or death if man had never sinned. But Jesus did not teach that there is always a direct link between a man's sickness and his sin, So we need not look for a link between the two here. Instead, as we'll soon see, Jesus will tie them together merely to prove his power to do something that in and of itself can't be empirically proven. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. 
When Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders sitting there were shocked. They didn't say anything, but they couldn't believe it. You know, only God could forgive sins. Who did this Jesus think he was? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he confronted them with it. He posed them with an interesting question. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? Now, actually, you can say either one with equal ease. It's not the words that make it hard. One is not easy to say and the other a tongue twister. What makes one harder to say than the other is that one demands proof to be believed and the other needs no proof because it cannot be proven in and of itself. You know, anyone can say your sins are forgiven, but how do you know it's true? Even if you believe it, it may not be true. You can feel forgiven and act forgiven and not actually be forgiven. If the one who says it has no authority to forgive sin, it doesn't matter what he says. He can say anything he wants, but that doesn't mean it's true. And if you have no way to confirm his authority to say it, it's meaningless. On the other hand, if someone says to a paralytic, arise, take up your bed and walk, it's easy to see if he has the authority to say such or not. If the man gets up and walks, obviously the man who said arise has the authority to say it. If the paralytic remains paralyzed, the man who said arise is shown to be powerless. And if he indicated he had the power to heal, he is shown to be a liar. So it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. How will anyone ever know whether it's true or not? Well, Jesus made it possible by linking the two statements together. He goes on. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he rose, and immediately took up the pallet, and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed, and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus linked the man's need for forgiveness with his need for healing so he could demonstrate his authority to meet both needs. He was going to heal the man in order that we may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And forgiving sins is what he really came to do. You know, healing someone of a physical problem is only a temporary solution for a temporal problem. Forgiving someone's sins and making them acceptable in the sight of God has eternal benefits. We talked about this last week. 
No, Jesus came telling us the good news, that if we'd believe in him, if we'd trust in him, he would take care of our sins and make us acceptable to God. This he did on Calvary when he paid the penalty for our sins. And being God in the flesh, he could offer that forgiveness before the fact to the paralytic. Just as God could offer forgiveness to those living before Christ by teaching them to trust that their sins would be forgiven through the sacrificial lamb he would send. Those who lived before Christ anticipated that sacrifice by offering animal sacrifices, acknowledging it would take a death to pay for sin. And those of us who live after Christ look back to the cross in faith that Jesus' death did, in fact, pay for our sin. Jesus, therefore, made the connection between the paralytic's spiritual and physical condition, not only for his sake, but for ours. He wanted us, as well as everyone in his house that day, to know that he does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins. To prove it, he said, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. If the man walked, Jesus' authority to forgive sin would be confirmed. Well, the man walked. He got up, he rolled up his pallet, and he walked out of the house. Matthew says he rose and went home. Luke adds that he went home Glorifying God. Now what a scene. Jesus said, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he did. He got up and went home. Now you'd think he would have reacted like the lame beggar that Peter healed by the gate of the temple. Jumping and leaping and praising God. But he didn't. He simply got up, headed home, and gave God the credit and the glory. He had been healed. He had been forgiven. And he was grateful. But he didn't make a big emotional display out of his healing or run all over town telling everyone about it. He just did what Jesus told him to do. He went home a changed man. I like that. You see, Jesus didn't perform miracles to impress people, to get everyone excited and to gain a huge following. He performed miracles to simply confirm who he was and what he had the authority to do. His miracles were visible signs to demonstrate his authority in the invisible spiritual realm. And the people got the message. They were amazed and glorified God. Not because they had seen a miracle, though. You know, Jesus had healed lots of people in Capernaum. But they had never seen anything like this before. They had never seen anyone prove 
they could forgive sin. That amazed them. And for that, they glorified God. And that, indeed, is the miracle of miracles. You know, a healing is nice. And if God chooses to heal someone, we are extremely grateful. It's a welcome reminder of who he is and what he can do. But forgiveness is what really matters. Forgiveness is what we really need. Forgiveness is what makes it possible for us to live eternally. Eternally free from sin and sickness and death. Jesus did heal people while on earth. And he empowered his apostles to do the same. But their primary objective wasn't to bless a limited number of people with physical healing. Their objective was to confirm the fact that Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins. That fact has now been definitively confirmed. His miracles gave us empirical proof Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Now, all you need to do is make sure he's forgiven you. And he will. If you'll do what Ananias told Paul to do, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Come, let him do what we now know he can do. Come, let him cleanse you from every sin and set you free.